Hey, uh, I wanted to tell you guys, we, uh, Jane and I bought a house a little while back, and it's uh, not far away, but it's 102 years old, and so we have to basically go through the whole house and restore everything. Um, but for me, that's fun, okay? I mean, that's, so we're going through this house and doing this, and I'm having experiences in this house that I haven't had before, like two days ago when I went through the floor. Um, <laughs> it's the first time I've ever done that, and then yesterday... Uh, Noah and I were doing some light demolition. Where is Noah? Oh, you, are you up there? Okay. So, and by the way, I highly recommend this. Put a sledgehammer in the hands of a 14-year-old. It's really fun. So we take out this wall, and uh, it, we make this great big mess. And so I went to go clean it up with our shop vac, and our shop vac did something it's never done before. I reached over, turned it on, and it spit out a bunch of dust like an old uh, Three Stooges cartoon, and just got me all around the head, and as I'm laughing, I realize I just breathed all that stuff in. So, my water's very close by. It's not COVID, I'm not coming down with anything, but I may take, take a lot of drinks because uh, it's just, man, my throat is dried out with 100-year-old dust, so. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to mention, I get asked uh, periodically by people, um, did you preach that sermon for me today? And here's what's really neat, when a, a, a truism about preaching is whenever you preach with somebody in mind, the sermon goes right over their head. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you that today because this week, I don't know that I have ever been as affected by sermon preparation as I have. I have been praying through every verse of this, this scripture. So today, if the sermon is for you, um, well, welcome to the club, because this one was really for me. So I'm really excited um, to dig into this one. We are getting into um, the, the home stretch of majoring in the minors, uh, the 12 minor prophets. We have only three to go. And um, today's prophetic book is distinctly different. You have to know this from the other ones. Um, the first nine are all about exile, invading armies, captivity, this one, though, is about unexpected freedom, um, release fr from bondage and slavery, and it's about return to everyday life as God's people. So very, very different. Um, the prophet's name here is Haggai, and Haggai's name means festive, okay, which kind of captures the mood of the people. I asked Donnie what it meant. Donnie said, well, the, the truth of Haggai is they didn't know his name, so when he walked by, they would just go, Haggai. I was like, I better look this up. I just don't think that's right. So anyway, but his name means festive. And again, that, that's the mood as we go into this. So when we last uh, were with, with God's people um, last week in Zephaniah, they were, they were about to be invaded by Babylon. A um, lot of tension in last week's book. And the reason that they're going to be overtaken by Babylon, it is the punishment of God. Because the people of God have really fallen into this perverse cultic worship um, that, that involved, again, as we said last week, um, public temple prostitution, um, even child, or, or child and human sacrifice, and th they get challenged. I mean, God gives them an opportunity to turn back, but his people refuse. Um, they refuse to acknowledge that they've done anything wrong. There's no, no returning here, and so uh, Babylon comes in. Right after the book ends, Babylon comes in like a flood, and they do two things. One thing they do is they level Jerusalem. I mean, it is a pile of rubble 
when the Babylonians are done. And then the second thing they do is they cart God's people off. Um, they take them into captivity. They are slaves. And here we are, and, and they take them back, of course, to Babylonia, which is modern-day Iraq, if you didn't know that. Well, when Haggai opens, 67 years have passed, and mighty Babylon has been overthrown, um, this undefeatable empire, they're now history, and the Persians are in charge, and we run into our first twist, and the twist is that Persia has a king named Darius, not to be confused with Darius in the book of Daniel, and, and this king Darius, this Persian, has a deep fascination with other world religions. And he actually has a real respect for them. And so out of the blue, he gives the Jews uh, an option. And he says, if you guys want to, you can return home. Just like that, the gates swing open. And he even promises that he will support them financially to, to help get home. And so, not surprisingly, 50,000 Jews take him up on their offer. And they make their way back to Jerusalem, and they're going back to rebuild. And when I say rebuild, I mean rebuild everything. They're going to rebuild their lives, their homes, um, their way of life, and the temple. And, and this is where I'll let you get involved. Guess which one of those was supposed to be the priority? The temple. Now, there's a reason for that. The temple is going to be the priority because all of Jewish life uh, centers on the worship of God. It is absolutely central. So the temple comes first, but then guess which one didn't stay the priority for very long? Exactly. The temple again, and there's a reason for that, and it's because all of these Jews returning home, they happen to be people, human beings. And uh, human beings, when a project gets too long, we have a way of kind of pulling the ripcord and getting out of there and uh, so, so what happens is they all start off in the beginning, festive, right? Going back home, and the mood to go build the temple is... <laughs> but before long, it's, the thrill is gone, baby. And they just abandon the project. They, they are done. And here's one more twist before I pray. There's another little twist in the beginning, and it's that none of these people are your average spiritual Joes. It just so happens that this group of exiles are the remnant that we talked about last week. You remember the remnant? These are the people that in, in hard times, in exile, when everybody's jumping ship spiritually, these are the people that held on. These are the people that, that, that have walked with God and they've been faithful and they've worshiped and they've prayed. And yet as Haggai opens, this group of people has ditched the project and uh, they have moved on to something that they're a bit more passionate about. And we'll get to it in a second. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you that your word is timeless. And I just love that here we are looking back into the Old Testament, the ancient Near East. And God, what you, what you have here is as timely and as for our hearts, our minds, and our lives as when it first happened to these people. So God, just meet us, speak to us. Um, Lord, do something in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are prepped. We're ready to go. All right, buckle up. Haggai 1, 1 through 4. <clears throat> in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, 
and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Okay, did you pick up what they're more passionate about? Themselves. Uh, and the great thing is that that is Old Testament. That never, ever happens anymore. But these people, they, they, they really, in the passage, what they're doing is they're just picking themselves. Um, the, and, and by the way, the paneled houses gives that away. You know, you and I hear paneled houses. What do you think of when you hear that? Prefab, mobile home, uh, not so in the Old Testament. What, what a paneled house is back then, it means posh, swank, okay? It means your house is tricked out. That's where these people are putting their time, their energy, and, and that, that's the tension here is that these people not only have built shelters to live in as they work on the temple, but they've really set themselves up. And in doing so, they've, they've tossed away God's plans, his blueprints for the temple, and um, they, they've really pushed his house aside. So the bottom line in all of this is their houses and their lives really come before their relationship with God. Um, but it's really coming before life with God. Or you could say it this way. Here, if the task is too big or God's ask is too big, well, their priorities shift from the things of God to, you know, just, again, really themselves. And so what God does here is he graciously, generously, in love, he calls them back. You know, he could wipe them out, right? He could smite them, you know, after all he's done. But God calls them back to a life of worship. Verse 7 this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. So they've got a choice. And we've seen all throughout this series, the people of God have a lot of choices. Well, this time what's great, what's wonderful is they make the right choice. Um, the people say yes to God. Listen to this, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the message the prophet, uh, of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So here they, they say yes to God, and they go back to rebuilding the temple so that they can worship God. And by the way, God in the passage is not homeless you know, it's not like God is going, I'm freezing to death out here. He is not only call, calling for his house to be built, this in a sense is the house of the people too, where they all come together for life and, and worship together. And so they say yes. And that's followed by something that ought to encourage every single one of us. Listen to verses 13 and 14 and see if you can pick this out. Um, then Haggai gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people, and they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. And I want you to hold on to those two verses, okay? We're going to come back to them in a minute. These two verses are pure gold, okay? If you want some encouragement, we're going to get to these in a few minutes. So anyway, what happens is the people go back to work, 
They, they, they all get going on the temple, and they discover a truth. Uh, I, I guess they didn't see this one coming, and it's that building a temple is not only a long project, it's a hard project. Uh, I mean, you, th- you think of how long it would take to build a big church, and the temple was ornate and massive today. Think about that. Well, back then, no modern equipment. This is a long, slow project. And so what the people begin to do is uh, they begin to cut corners. And uh, unfortunately, they cut corners in a way that it is obvious. Um, the temple is just not looking like what the, the, the specs that God has laid out. And so God speaks to them again in Haggai 2, 3 through 5. And he asks the question, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Now, do you remember the, the time span here? Uh, 67 years ago, there had been a temple. So that's a question that some people can answer. Oh, I remember what it looked like. How does it look to you now, asked God? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And that's nothing compared to what it was. But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people, declares the Lord. And work, for again I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And then verse 9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And again, you see the same two things in this passage that we've been seeing all along. Uh, First of all, that people are people, right? I mean, we check out, we bail out. The, The people don't change here. They stay the same, but we also, again, you see the faithfulness of God, the patience of God, just God bearing with his people and sticking with his people, calling them into faithfulness and calling them into blessing, okay? Now, that brings me to a story, share another story from my life from the last century. Um, Back in 1995, I went to seminary, uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in New England, so this is, yeah, yes, thank you. I didn't expect that. Well done, Marvin. Thank you. I'll pay you 20 bucks later. So I went to Gordon-Conwell, Theological Seminary in New England, just above Boston, and um, it was wicked hard, okay? Very academically challenging, okay? Um, even the smart kids in the school were at it. I mean, like, it felt like 24 hours a day. The library's packed. They're studying um, and you just had to. I, one semester, I had 10,000 pages to read, okay? So this is how hard it is. So we're all working away, and um, one day at chapel, we all show up for this chapel, and I have a, a, an Old Testament professor. He stands up, and he walks to the front, and everybody in the room can tell he is not happy. Um, so he says, good morning, everyone. And he said, you know, my wife is in a Bible study with a bunch of your wives, and uh, they have a nickname for themselves. Do you want to know what it is? And the guy next to me said, no. (laughs) But he said, um, they call themselves seminary widows because all you guys do is study. And here's what I want you to know. If you cannot learn to be faithful to your families here, you'll never be faithful in church. Because seminary is just a warm-up act for leading the church. 
I have never had somebody said, say something that cut me like that. I mean, it went straight to my heart. And, and I remember Genesis 4-7, you know, the Cain and Abel scene where God shows up, and he asks a question. The question he asks is this, if you do what is right, will you not be blessed? And I knew what I had to do. Right there in that moment, I said, okay, God, I'm going to make a vow to you right now. I will study from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock. In the morning, I'm going to be there with my kids, and at night, I will be there with my family, but I'm going to be faithful, but you are going to have to bless me. Now, here's what the Lord did. Time stood still for me. The Lord made time stand still. I studied half the time that everybody else did. My grades went through the roof. And the point is this. God blesses his way. God blesses his way. God's way works. And I, I think in the church, we, we waste a lot of time um, in, in Christianity. I think we waste a lot of time hung up on ourselves. You know, oh my gosh, I sinned. Oh my gosh, I fell short. I lost steam. We do that. All of us do that. We lose steam. We get discouraged. Sometimes we throw up our hands and, and, and quit. We halfway do things. We all walk away from what God has for us. You know, every, every Christian I know, at some point, we lose sight of our spiritual priorities. You know, I, I mean, hey, look, if I can admit this, I think you all can as well, hopefully. You know, we like to obey selectively. You know, there's stuff that comes really easy to us. I'm really good at obeying the stuff that comes really easy to Steve. It's a lot tougher with the rest, though, isn't it? You know, it's tempting to disregard the rest. And I think in saying that, I, I just want us to realize we are the remnant in Haggai at different times of our lives. Maybe a lot of different times in our lives, lives we are that remnant. I know I am. But what we have to remind ourselves again and again in the Word of God is that His way works. Life works when Christ is at the center of our lives. You know, when, when, when we give attention to the Word of God, when we walk in the ways of God's Word instead of what everybody else says. Have you all ever noticed this? That what everybody else says often doesn't align with the Word of God? Well, guess what God blesses? God blesses His Word and He calls us in it. And so when we walk in God's Word and God's ways, we end up being blessed. And that's what, what, going back to those two pure gold verses in verse 13 and 14, look at what God says. You spend your time being about what I am about, and you better know that I will be with you in that. But I will also stir up your spirit for the task. And it's God just saying, I will empower you to do whatever I call you to do. In other words, there is great blessing that comes with obedience. I, I, a, a woman who was uh, in our church, Margaret Jensen, she was an author in Wilmington, and she would always say this. She said, you know, there is a high cost for obedience, but there's such a greater cost for disobedience. There's also blessing that comes with obedience. And so sometimes, though, even saying that, the ask is big, though, isn't it? I mean, sometimes God does, from our perspective, ask a whole lot from us. Sometimes what God asks us to do, we don't want to do it. You know, sometimes what God asks us to do to us, it feels impossible. By the way, God does impossible really well. 
He really does. I mean, sometimes even you go, there's just no way. Man, when God steps in, it's incredible what, what happens. Just know that God's way is not just better. God's way is best. And God's way is always blessed. Okay? But know this. Again, sometimes it's not easy. I don't ever want you to hear me like I used to hear my pastor growing up. Whenever, you know, we, we would get challenged, he kind of his admonition to the congregation was, guys, just snap out of whatever you're doing and just behave perfectly and just do whatever it is. Y'all, that kind of, that kind of uh, life is just not doable for the Christian. You know, if you've, if you've ever tried to just snap into perfect behavior, you know what happens for the few that do that and they get robotic and they just never miss their cues? They end up elitist, arrogant, proud of themselves, Instead, what I want to I invite you to do as we look at Haggai today, I want to invite you to take a heart journey when it comes to walking with God and serving God. And a heart journey is simply this for the Christian. First of all, we awaken to the fact that there is only one road that leads to life. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the beginning of life right there, but the, there's only one road that leads to life, and it isn't perfect behavior. You know, it isn't perfect attendance. Uh, it isn't a bunch of God talk. Have you ever known anybody who does a lot of God talk? Um, we planted a church one time, and there was a guy, Jane, you know who I'm talking about, but there was a guy, and, and his answer for the Christian life was just God talk. So you say, Ray, not Ray Parham, Ray, how are you doing? I'm blazed. Ray, how's it going today? Too blazed to be straced. And, you know, it just, it was hollow, it was empty, it wasn't real. But this journey is just getting to know God through his word. Falling in love with God through worship. You know, it, it, it's joining a spiritual family where we're all walking together. You know, and sometimes we're falling and picking each other up, but together, together we're moving toward the cross and the great mission of God. And it's out of that place, it's out of a heart place that we, we really say yes to the things of God. I think that's the only way you can really say yes to God is, is, is out of the heart. But that also involves saying no to some things, those things that lead away from Jesus and lead away from death. And sometimes that no comes easy, doesn't it? You know, have you ever read scripture and you find yourself in violation of the Holy Spirit speaks to you and it's just like, yeah, and you just take the step. You know, you're right back where you should be. Sometimes it's hard, though, to say yes to God and, and, and make that change. And brothers and sisters, that is why we have each other. You know, we talk about the gift of one another. This is the gift. We have one another to be strengthened, to, to mature, to grow. You know, sometimes people say, you know, you don't really need church anymore. Yes, you do. I tell you, Lone Ranger Christianity is deadly. We, we are family for a reason. So we've got the gift of one another. We also have ministries that, that really focus on putting us back together. Restore My Soul is one. You know, there are people in this room that have had addiction broken in their life, just praying healing prayer with, with other folks. We also have people in, in this church who can really serve as mentors. You know, sometimes you're struggling with something in the church, and there's somebody else who has been there before. They have been through it. They have come out on the other side. You know what their favorite thing to do is? Find somebody who is struggling like them and help them out. So we have a great gift 
in one another. But the point is, we're not meant to go it alone. And the reason for the heart journey, the reason we take this um, is very simple. It's because life lived apart from Jesus Christ is not life. A half-life lived for Jesus Christ, hot and cold, it's always a discouragement, it's always a disappointment, but a life revolving around Jesus Christ with him at the center, a, a, a life that's really lived walking in the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, it's always an adventure. It's always rich. It's always abundant. I mean, even your lowest lows in Christ are far higher than your highest highs apart from Him. So, by the way, that's how the book of Haggai ends, with Him pointing us toward a rich, glorious future and hope in Jesus Christ. All right, only two more to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, and thank you that this is the simplest of lessons in Scripture. And Father, we, we want to be in that place where we are just drawn into life with you. And I thank you that you never disappoint. We never say yes to you, yes to your word, yes to, to your spirit leading us, and look back and go, man, I wish I would have rethought that. I, I wish I would have done something else. God, you always bless and, and you always honor your way. And so I just pray that we would be encouraged today, just, Lord, drawn into life with you, and, and God, that we would just see and hear your voice leading us, calling us into so much more day after day in Christ's name. Amen.